and thank you for joining LTC NAC Chat, a podcast brought to you by the American Association of Post-Acute Care Nursing, APACN. I'm your host, Amy Stewart, Chief Nursing Officer for APACN, and I'm here today with Jennifer LeBay, Curriculum Development Specialist with APACN. Jennifer joins us to discuss some of the common concerns noted with significant change in status assessments. Welcome, Jennifer. Thanks for having me, Amy. Let's start with some of the basics. Can you review with our listeners the REI user's manual requirements for a significant change in status assessment? Absolutely. We do have a couple of different requirements that are in the REI user's manual. The first one is found on page 2-24, which is speaking to an actual clinical change. And a significant change is defined as a major decline or improvement in a resident status that will not normally resolve itself without intervention by staff or by implementing standard disease-related clinical interventions, the decline is not considered self-limiting. Also, it has to impact more than one area of the resident's health status, and it must require interdisciplinary review and or revision of the care plan. And this is different from a significant error. So when we say there's a significant change in status, that means the resident status is clinically different now from what it was on the previous OBRA assessment. There is another requirement for a significant change in status that is not related to how the MDS is coded, and that is when there is hospice election or if the resident comes off of hospice. There is also a requirement if the resident changes hospice providers that a significant change in status is completed within 14 days of the start of hospice services, change of hospice services or the end of hospice services. And the reason for that, even though it may not show any actual changes on the MDS form itself, is that we want to integrate the hospice provider's plan of care with the facility plan of care for the resident related to that hospice election. Thank you for sharing that information. Can a significant change in status be completed if there's only one clinical change? That's a great question, Amy. Yes, there is some guidance in the REI user's manual that says that the staff may still decide that the resident would benefit from a significant change in status, but it's important to remember that every resident's situation is unique. So we really need to utilize clinical judgment related to the resident. We have to know the resident's baseline status, what was coded on that previous OBRA assessment, and that would be the admission assessment, an annual, a previous significant change in status, a quarterly assessment, or a previous significant correction assessment. And we really need to understand what is going on with that resident now and making that determination, is this something that truly requires a full review and an updated plan of care. So although it doesn't technically meet the requirements, if the team gets together and feels that, yes, this one change is enough where perhaps it puts the resident at risk for further problems if that change is not addressed, that a significant change in status assessment could be completed. And one thing you may find that when you do that significant change in status assessment, 
further in-depth review may find that there are actually changes in addition to that one change. And it could be an improvement to improvements or to declines. And that's one thing that's very important to understand. We need to make sure we're looking at both the decline and the improvement and making that clinical decision as a team. That's a great way to put it. Thank you, Jennifer. If a resident is on Medicare, will a significant change in status assessment impact payment? That's a great question. And the short answer is no. A significant change in status assessment does not impact payment. It has not impacted payment since the beginning of PDPM back in October of 2019. So the only type of change assessment that's going to impact payment is going to be the interim payment assessment. And that is an optional assessment. Again, it's a facility decision to determine when that assessment is going to be completed. Now, when the team is making that decision about a significant change in status, looking at the guidance from the REI user's manual, We're basically looking for a change in the baseline that's not going to resolve itself within a 14-day window. So we need to first understand what is the change, and then we need to monitor the resident for those 14 days to see do they meet the criteria for the significant change, and then we have another 14 days to complete the assessment. With a Medicare assessment, you may miss that financial change in status with the interim payment assessment by the time you do meet the requirements for the significant change in status assessment. So they are two very different criteria for completion and they cannot be completed together because the interim payment assessment is a standalone assessment. Thank you, Jennifer. How do the MDS changes that went into effect on October 1st, 2023 impact the significant change in status assessment? Well, there are several changes and updates related to, first of all, the removal of ADL Section G. So the REI user's manual does give some guidance in Chapter 2 surrounding what would be considered a change in status, a decline in two or more areas or an improvement in two or more areas. And it does give us some guidance looking at how residents' decision-making ability has changed for a decline or a mood item has declined. I want to stop there and speak to that. Because of the change with the PHQ, Previous assessments prior to October 1st completed a PHQ-9, the full nine questions. Now we have to start with the PHQ-2, and if we don't answer in a way that's going to get us to the full PHQ-9, we're going to have a different score or perhaps no score, depending on how the resident answers the PHQ-2. So that could inadvertently show a change in the resident's mood status when clinically there may not actually be one. So this is where we have to be careful in looking at the resident's mood holistically and not just from what is coded on the MDS. Looking at the REI user's manual, yes, we're looking at changes in coding on the MDS to determine when a significant change in status is completed But we also have to remember, we have to look at the resident holistically. The MDS is a minimum data set, and it's not going to show everything that's going on with that resident. So although we may not meet the criteria for a significant change 
according to the REI user's manual, if we have noticed a decline in the resident's mood just by our own clinical assessment, we want to make sure that we're capturing that in the plan of care and then perhaps looking at other areas to see would a significant change in status assessment be appropriate. So we're looking at that, also looking at changes in behavioral symptoms. So if there's been a decline in two or more areas of behaviors. And then with the ADLs, they did in the REI user's manual spell out what to look for for a decline in ADL physical functioning now using the section GG criteria. So we're looking at those GG0130, GG0170 self-care or mobility items where a resident is newly coded as partial moderate assistance, substantial maximal assistance dependent resident refused or the activity was not attempted since the last assessment. And one thing that it does note is that this doesn't reflect a normal fluctuation in the individual's functioning. So if the resident is able to do things in one part of the month and maybe because of their condition, maybe they have multiple sclerosis or Parkinson's and they kind of wax and wane with their abilities, if we've addressed that in the plan of care, that the resident's fluctuation is cyclical based on their condition, we wouldn't have to do that significant change. But if this is a new change for the resident, then we would want to look, is this a significant change? And that's two or more areas that could be just in section GG alone. So there could be a decline in one of their bed mobility items and one of their transfer items. Those two changes are enough to complete a significant change in status assessment. So the rest of the changes for the declines, pretty similar to what we had prior to the October 1st, 2023 changes. Emergence of a new pressure ulcer, stage two or higher, new unstageable pressure ulcer, new use of a restraint, the incontinence pattern has worsened, there's an unplanned weight loss. And then we have the kind of catch-all emergence of a condition or disease in which the resident is judged to be unstable. So that's kind of that catch-all, use your clinical judgment when determining is there a decline in this resident's functional status, clinical status that would meet the criteria. So that's just looking at the declines. We also have to keep in mind we're also looking at improvements in two or more areas. And again, with the changes from section G to section GG, the REI user's manual did add any improvement in an ADL physical function where the resident is newly coded as independent setup or cleanup assistance or supervision or touching assistance since the last assessment. And again, that does not reflect the normal fluctuation in the resident's individual functioning. Also looking at that improvement, any decrease in the number of behavioral symptoms, the decision-making improves, the incontinence pattern improves, and really the CMS guidance is that we should be looking at the resident clinically and not just going by a checklist that's in the REI user's manual. Jennifer, this was really great information on a misunderstood topic since the October 1st changes. So thank you for sharing your expertise. Thank you, Amy. Listeners, thank you for joining us today. For more resources and tools for nurse assessment coordinators, please visit our website at www. 
aapacn.org. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the LTC NACChat podcast.